podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. In terms of content, this show won't be hugely different from our normal weekly episodes, but the background noise that you hear on occasion might be slightly more tropical than when we record our pods from the Oval, as we usually do. I'm Yaz Rana, and with me from Chill Cafe Bar and Grill in Barbados is the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, and decorated freelance hustler, Cam Ponsonby. Ben and I are here in Barbados, courtesy of the brilliant sportsbreak.com, a tour company who offer personalised tickets, travel and hotel packages centred around the biggest, most talked about sporting event in the world. Check out their website. They've got something on offer for fans of pretty much every sport you can think of. Um, Our week here has been brilliant, as you can imagine. First up, I spoke to Mark Butcher during the final overs of the test yesterday to hear his immediate thoughts on the action. We're recording this uh, on the dying stages of the fifth day. It looks like it's probably going to be a draw now. I wanted to start with Saqib Mahmood. He's on test debut. And I thought he was really impressive on quite a lifeless wicket. In the first innings, he created problems uh, when the pitch wasn't giving much um, through the air and also off the pitch as well. And his two foot at the very start of the fourth innings kind of gave England a sniff. And he was the seamer that Joe has gone to most in the fourth innings as well. How impressed were you by his test debut? Yeah, I mean, he showcased, showcased both of his talents, really. Um, you know, for Lancashire to take the new ball, and, and that would, would, without any question, be his role. But for England, you're thinking to yourself, well, maybe, you know, his first change, maybe second change, they'd want to use him with the old ball. And that's, what, that's how he was used in the first innings. And he reverse swung it really, really nicely. Was able to maintain an excellent line and length Good pace um, as well. Four, and, and decent pace, yeah, on, on a pitch that is unbelievably lifeless. Um, and he created a few chances for himself, mm. obviously the, the, the no ball and the, the first wicket would have been a lovely one, wouldn't it? A, a, an in-swinging Yorker to ping up your first test match wicket, but it wasn't to be. Um, and in the end, he had to have a bit of help from uh, Jason Holder to, to get that first <laughs> wicket with a, an aberration <laughs> of a shot. Um, but yeah, so that was fantastic. You kind of, you expected... You expected him to be able to do that. But, but where's he been? He's been in England squads for two and a half years. Craig yeah. Overton was preferred in the first Test match and he very quickly became Root's go-to seamer across the Test match. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, the Over- Overton and Wokes are kind of a bit of a safety blanket for England selections, aren't they? Because of, the, because of what they offer with the bat. Um, you know, it's only, it was only really because of the fact that, um, that they've been forced into playing both Fisher and Mahmood that either of them played in this Test match. And of course... The um, you know the the, the spectre of the two gentlemen that, that are sat at home, not part of the tour as well. So he's he's been made to wait. But now that he's played, and now that Joe Root has seen um, what a what a potent weapon he potentially can be in lots of different scenarios. I mean, because there's a lot of England bowlers who are good at one thing but not so good at the other. He's shown potential in both, uh, both with the new ball doing traditional sort of um, line and length and, mm. and seam and swing, and also with the old ball, um, he's got a, a little two-in-one bowler there, a gem. Yeah, I guess England produced a lot of new ball bowlers, uh, not many bowlers like Saqib. Mm. Is this partial vindication of the decision not to bring Broad and Anderson, in that he probably wouldn't have got this opportunity if those two were, were here? Yeah, look, and... and <laughs> The chances are, if Jimmy and, and Stuart had been on this trip on the pitches that we've played on so far, we wouldn't have won the games either. So, you know, no, nothing, nothing has been, uh, nothing has been lost, and plenty has been gained. Um, you know, I think Matt Fisher certainly looked, looked to the man born as well. Um, he'll, he'll, he'll fill out. He'll get bigger. He'll get stronger. He'll hit the pitch harder. He'll get a little bit more pace in him. 
Um, and he certainly didn't look out of place in this uh, in this test arena either. Um, I, I suppose you have to caveat all of this by saying that it's one of the more passive batting lineups you're ever going to bowl at in mm. test match cricket and uh, and so so that means that you're able to sort of get into spells and you're not having people come at you and put you under um, adverse amounts of pressure but having said that both of them have acquitted themselves really nicely you mentioned the word lifeless at least two times already oh, what have you made of the pitch just horrendous yeah i mean look the, 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 the bizarre thing about it is is that on from sort of halfway through or the beginning part of day three you know, I've been out there doing the pitch reports and whatever, and there there are bare patches, there are patches that have turned to dust, there are parts of the of the pitch on the main part of the wicket where the ball has has, has burst through the top, but nothing has happened. Mm. You know, it's it's it's, it's it was, done it was a all little bit it, it was a little bit inconsistent on the third morning. I thought England would a would do all right, but yeah, it just hasn't happened. But you know, and even even Jack Leach, who's who's managed to get some balls to turn really really sharply, the rest of the time it just goes to sleep. Mm. You know, and so the, the and and so the the one ball, I suppose, the one ball that turns sharply doesn't have the same sort of effect because the ball that goes straight on goes straight on at such a slow pace and with no bounce and no zip on it mm. um, that the one that turns big doesn't doesn't then sow any seeds of doubt in the, in the batter's mind. They just mm. have to hold the line and, and hope that they miss it, and they've missed it pretty much the whole game. What have you made of Leach's performance? I think he's bowled more balls in this Test match than any English winner has this century. Mm. Um, Three wickets here in the second innings to give England keep it keep England interested really towards to, the dying close to keep of the day. us all here until yeah, yeah, until yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think he's done all right. I think I think for for where he is as a as a Test match spinner, he's bowled as well as you'd expect him to. Mm. Um, you know there, there are there are facets missing to 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 his game, i.e., sort of overspin and drop and 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 things that will, will deceive top-class batsmen without the need for the ball to be turning square. But he knows that, and his coach, Jing Patel, knows that, and, that's, and they are things that, that, that he's working on. So, I mean, it's commendable. The way that he's bowled, the, 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 the accuracy that he's shown, the sort of persistence, the bravery that he's shown, actually, to sort of keep coming back and going for more and more and more, has been admirable. Mm. Um, you just hope that all of the, you know, the investment that is being made on this trip and the overs, that, that that learning curve suddenly starts to go vertical because mm. you know he's not the he's not the youngest man in the world now and if he's going to get it and if it's going to become um, you know a potent weapon for Joe Root in his new look team then those things are going to have to start slotting into place very very quickly. A couple of young English batters done pretty well this tour Zach Hawley 100 Antigua Dan Lawrence 19 the first innings uh, two good kind of cameos in the second innings of both test matches how much do you think we can read into that given the opposition uh, given the pitches they've, they've been batting on? Well, put it this way, you'd rather have come out here as a sort of a young batter making your way, trying to make a few runs, than uh, than an Ashes series, I suppose. Yeah. So, so there is your there's your your difference in terms of the the, the, the standard of opposition and the and the, the, the high profile nature of the series. Um, but Dan Lawrence has, has proven himself to be proper sparky little cricketer, mm. hasn't he? Um, you kind know, of the, gets involved yeah, all get, the time. Yeah, gets yeah. involved. I, I described him as the artful dodger on commentary <laughs> um, because he's like, you know, you move the field around and he's just he's trying to pick the captain's pocket. <laughs> oh, you move in there, I'll hit it over there. Um, he's always looking to score, move the game on. Um, you know, proper Essex cheeky chappy. So listen, he's done himself absolutely no no harm whatsoever. And Joe moving up to number three and making a couple of hundreds has sort of left that left the door open for somebody to come in and play in that sort of manner. Mm. Um, so yeah, good luck to him. He's, he's you get the chance, you got to take it, and it, it'll be absolutely gutted that he didn't make a hundred in the first innings of this one. Difficult, difficult test match for Chris Wokes. 
uh, wasn't hugely threatening, not dissimilar to how he was in Antigua. Mm. And in his fourth innings, he's barely bowled at all. I think he's bowled four overs in the first 50 overs. Yeah. And he was supposed to be the attack leader. He was the guy he trusted with the new ball uh, in this new reset era with no broad and Anderson. Yeah. It just hasn't really worked out with him. No, it hasn't. Um, and I suppose you could, you could sort of say, well, look, given his numbers overseas up until this point, um, that you know, England, England might as well have left him behind as well as Broad and Anderson, and, and, and bring out bring out another young guy. I suppose they needed somebody that had the experience, and and unfortunately for him, it just hasn't worked out at all. Now, when you go to Grenada, if you get faced with another flat five-day surface, you know, England, I think, would be very, very tempted to to try and bring Matt Parkinson into that mm. team, and they would actually be loath to leave out either one of Fisher and Mahmood in that test. Mm. And in, again, if you're if you're looking to to learn about these players. Learn about Parkinson, learn about um, Fisher and, and Mahmood a little bit more. Why not give them that responsibility? Because the one thing that you that you've been able to rely on on this trip that you perhaps haven't that you've had to worry about in the past is making the runs, right? Mm. But if England had known they were going to make 500 in this <laughs> Test match, they would have wanted they would have picked Parkinson. Yeah. Yes? So I, you know, that's what I'd like to see them do in the next Test match. Um, you know, we haven't we've not arrived there yet, so obviously difficult to tell in terms yeah. of the, the scenario. But if they're faced with a similar looking surface, then that's the way I'd go for sure. This tour was partially billed as an opportunity for England to learn more about their players. What do you think they learned from the Barbados test? I think Saka Mahmood was definitely the kind of major positive. I think personally, I'm, I'm kind of coming round to the Red Bull reset. It was kind of a point of cynicism and scepticism for everyone, including myself. Through no kind of fault of their own or through no doing of their own, England have kind of ended up playing two guys that they wanted to learn about. And they've only done that because Robinson got injured and Overton fell ill. But I think the mood, the way he bowled, and especially through Root's comments afterwards, he was saying like no, no other seamer got anything out of that pitch. And Mahmood did, and that is, quote, great signs for us and for him. So I think England have taken a huge positive out of that. He might not be the kind of number one seamer you're expecting to line up with whoever in the summer in England, but it's a huge initial tick in the box for Mahmood going forward that they see this guy who's been around the squad for over two years now as, no, this guy is the business and we can rely on him. Mm. Uh, ben, I guess there are two things that are interesting. One is there aren't that many England quicks under the age of 27 who can really um, confidently say they've got much of a test future at the moment. And number two, as, as Cam says, he's been around in squads for two and a half years. He's been bowling the nets. I kind of wonder, why hasn't he played before? Yeah, well, I guess... Because this is the thing, I, I was thinking like, did England need to leave Broad and Anson at home to play to keep a mood? Arguably they didn't, but also they haven't really given new guys a try unless they've kind of been forced to over the past like 12 months, even a bit longer. Like uh, guys generally come inside when people have been injured and they've had a pretty established pecking order that has been quite hard to, to change. And with Mahmood, that pecking order as that kind of, he's not, he, it doesn't look like England see him as like a premier noble bowler or they see that his like point of difference lies elsewhere. And as a point of difference bowler, he sort of has sat behind uh, Archer, Stone and Wood, and all of, whom are, all of whom are now injured and all of whom have been injured at various points recently. And so arguably they should have given him a go at some point. And hopefully one of the things they'll have learned from this is that also that the guys who are on the sidelines, who they haven't given a go to, it is just worth it. Like they, they, it, probably, it probably won't be that bad and it might be quite good. Um, so I think that's what's, yeah, that, that's, that's where Mahmood has been I suppose I think like Cam I don't know if he'll play a huge role this summer possibly I England uh, they they, I think often they start summers with Mark Wood in the team uh, and then realise actually you don't need a bowler like that in England Not this isn't to say that um, you know Mahmood can't take wickets on 
green English seamers, but it, it, it was nice for the reverse wing he got in particular uh, in the first innings as well as the lift he got in the second innings with that uh, Nkrumah Bonneville. Um, so it might be that he doesn't play that much through the summer, possibly, that he plays just a, a few of the tests and he isn't like a key part of the attack. But coming to that Pakistan tour at the end of the summer, and if we're seeing what the pitches are like at the moment there, although they, they've rolled those pitches out for an Australia team that they think they kind of need to outbore because of they, how good their pace tack is, and they might see England's pace tack and think, actually, we can roll out some spicy ones because we back our pace tack in this point. Uh, but he could play a big role there, I think. Can what do you make of Jack Leach's test? He bowled more overs in this test than any other English bowler has done in any test since 1962. Yeah, is that a good stat? I, d- I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I thought he bowled well. I thought he bowled. I thought he was fine. I thought he was good. I've been caught between wanting to be really positive about him and saying, "Well bowled. You've kept like you've kept to it. You've literally bowled a whole of the day's play." Mm you've shown the control and your ability as a holding spinner that England have really wanted you to be able to, the role England really wanted you to have been able to perform. But then you take three for out of like 60, 70 overs in the first innings and like, it's not great. And then the same, he's taken three for in the second innings and again, he bowled well. So I think... I thought he bowled much better in the second innings than the first. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, 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 think, think, I think he's much better when... He's when he's got fielders around the bat. He didn't actually have. I thought England were, were probably more defensive than they arguably could have been in the first innings, given the way West Indies were batting. And I think Leach is just a better bowler when he's got fielders around the bat, and he feels that the batters aren't really going to do much. And he, he tosses up more. I thought in the first innings he bowled too many balls that were just like yeah. quite flat, not trying to deceive batters through the air. I think he's probably bowled quite similarly, but he's had more assistance from the pitch, and. That is kind of, Jeetan Patel's been speaking about how England see him as a work in progress, but I thought he bowled well. I thought, I think basically the, the problem with Leach, but where what can also be his strength is we're now, he's now becoming a bowler who's reliable, who's consistent, that England know what they're getting out of him. The question then becomes is, what is, is whether that's enough, basically. Mm. Is he going to be the bowler who's going to rip a side apart if, say, to jump ahead a bit, Matt Parkinson comes in for the second set, third test in Grenada, and he shows himself to be this spinner who couldn't, can take five for spit or five for however many, would England prefer that than a bowler who can hold an end down and pick up two or three? I think one of the interesting things with Leach uh, is that Root clearly trusts him quite a lot, which was not the case. I mean, which hasn't been the case before this series. I mean, you know, with the, the, the strange handling of him up until the Ashes tour and then during it, uh, it's clear that England haven't quite known what to do with him. And now... I mean, he does. He, I mean, look, and it's also, you know, when someone's a spinner, it can be said, oh, they can just bowl as much as possible. Like, 90 overs is so much. Like, it's going to be so tiring. And it's, it's a remarkable display of fitness as well for a guy who's had fitness and illness problems as well. So that's really impressive. The, like the, he didn't bowl that many bad balls. Yeah, the, the, the control thing is is interesting. I guess, I guess he, he did bowl with really good control in the first innings, and this was a good test for Leach. It's been a good tour for Leach. I think we should be careful to sort of lionise it and say that Leach is now, like, he is England's number one spinner for sure. But to say that this is Leach locked in for, for 20 tests, he's sort of proved all his doubts is wrong. That's not quite the case, I think. And it will be interesting to see what happens the next time uh, a batter sort of comes at him, which hasn't happened in this series, which obviously did happen in Australia. And, you know, he's shown in the past that he can come back from taking a bit of a pounding. He did that in India last time out when he, uh, he got, what, smashed by Rashad Pan in the first test mm. of that ser- series and then came back in the second innings. Uh, so, look, th- there's lots to like about Leach. And we know pretty well, I think, what he can do. He can bowl pretty tidy in the first innings with a slight question mark over what happens when someone really really runs at him yeah uh, and he and he can bowl well in the second innings even and even then he, he, he did bowl well again in the second innings, not saying he didn't bowl well 
but I think also it's it wasn't like a you know a, a, a wow this is incredible spell of bowling it was like about what you'd expect from like a decent spinner on the fourth day of a test it's not as if you know it's, it you know it's it, it's it was still only three wickets in both games and you mm. t- take six yeah. wickets and what 120 over, like 120 overs of play across the two which is which is good but it's also like it's like it's it's again it's a question about do England want to find out if there is more out there I suppose just to give him like credit that we only have a chance of forcing result on that final day because he's gone at less than two and over in his 60 overs in the first innings if he goes at threes or two two and a halfs then the scores are level it's 500 piece and there's no chance England can force a result mm. so in that respect England will be delighted with him because he's by playing that holding role and West Indies going nowhere with the bat, England had a chance of victory. Had he then spun them to the win on the final day, we're talking about like a phenomenal performance, but it hasn't quite happened. No, I think I agree with, with all of that. I don't think my opinion on Leach has changed this tour. I think that this West Indies batting lineup, the standout attribute of their two standout batters is patience for both. Mm. Um, the pitch was slow, run scoring was hard. There were nine right-handers in the lineup that just should suit a left-arm spinner. So I'm just not quite sure how much can be read into him not going for that much. Like Dan Lawrence was really fun to watch bowl, but he turns it loads. But he also bowls quite a few bad balls and went less than went at less than three and over in that first inning. So I'm not really sure how much can be read into Leach not going for a huge amount. I mean, it's obviously good, but I, but I would have expected him to be able to do that before this tour, even with what happened in Australia. So I don't think my opinion of him has changed massively. Onto the pitch. I think the pitch chat has taken away a little bit from how amazing what Brathwaite did was. The, mm-hmm. the tone of the conversation has always been that the draw was an, an inevitability. But Brathwaite faced more balls in this test than any other West Indian batter has ever done on record. Um, which is incredible and also you were saying that England wouldn't have had a chance in the fifth day if it wasn't for how Leach bowled West Indies lose this test match without Brathwaite uh, yeah I mean they lose it comfortably they might lose it by an innings without him uh, it was an incredible feat of concentration and like and, and especially like there could have been a temptation just to like at so many points just to like have well a bit of fun from everyone else's point of view it's clear what Brathwaite's version of fun is is quite different to a lot of other people's uh, and to like you know to try and up the scoring rate because you know there, there was a point on that fourth day when you kind of think like this actually it's not hurting them too much because it means they just have to bat a bit quicker but like wickets aren't going to be a problem they can do that uh, but he was still just blocking and blocking and blocking uh, his defence is so good he didn't even offer a chance until he until he finally got out uh, and then again in the second innings you kind of think like can this guy do this again like he's, he's not been off the field been off the field about like what 20 minutes the whole game uh, and then and then he does it again uh, and you know Brathwaite is uh, he has been a guy I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's had his struggles with poor form and that sort of thing but over the last 10 years he has been a guy who's basically held like been the only sort of credible West Indies opener essentially like what's mm. the stat that he's got all or the last 10 hundreds by West Indies openers he's made all of them uh, he's, uh, he also sits pretty highly in the list for another game for the longest innings played by a, a West Indies batter uh, yeah he's a bit of a, an, an, an sort of old school phenomenon you know, he's not played a professional T20 game of any description uh, and doesn't look like he, he minds that. It's just mm. all he likes doing is blocking the ball, and he'll and the runs will come kind of when they come. And it's it's like there there was a certain amount of sort of almost perverse enjoyment to be taken from it, just to see a guy. Did you genuinely enjoy day four? Uh, there were points when it was it was it was I guess admiration as much as enjoyment, and and realizing you're witnessing something incredible, even if each individual bit of action is not. It's you know mm. it's the whole thing rather than the. Uh, 
you know, it was not as like there was a standout shot from the Brathwaite innings, and that's what made it brilliant. I think the, the way I feel about Brathwaite at the moment is that like he's painted the Mona Lisa, but we've had to watch it dry. And it's like <laughs> he's done this incredible thing, but incredible things can be a bit boring to witness. <laughs> and what, Jared Kimmer did a video on him, I think last night. It was, it was really interesting because he was saying he, he, he was putting together a piece for him and he went back and watched old footage of him and there was heaps of it because Brathwaite was seen as this kind of Bayesian prodigy mm. for, from forever. I think he was in a test club when he was like 16. Yeah, and, but the clips of him batting as a kid and being the best player, it's exactly the same. You see all these other guys smash, smashing it over the top and looking amazing. You've got, just got this little scrawny kid like just blocking the whatever out of it. And there was a stat he used where... Brathwaite, by the time he played Test cricket for West Indies, or in the Test, played first-class cricket at 16, thinks he scored about he scored about 40 hundreds in his life, compared to Atherton and um, Hussain, who say they reckon they scored about 15 by that point. So this is a guy who just he just loves runs and like loves batting, and that's a cliche. But if, if I've learned anything over the last week, it's that it's true, basically. <laughs> uh, I thought also the the pitch chat also detracted from actually how good the test was to watch for a lot of it so obviously day four was was difficult to watch but day one was was pretty good aside from the the first session uh day two was amazing with 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 stokes uh first session of day three was really good actually when england got west indies to about 100 for three and it looked like england would bowl west indies out for 300 possibly in a day a lot of and then day, good, and, then, and then day day five was really fun as well as england pushed for victory setting up the declaration in the morning and then um, those two early wickets for Mahmood and Leach bowling in unison with, with Lawrence and Root for much of the afternoon. Yeah, what, so is, is the question whether the pitch was actually a good one then? No, or? no, I think, I think it's fair to criticise the pitch, but I think despite the pitch, it was actually quite a good test to watch with the exception of maybe one and a half days in the middle. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, you, you asked Cam right at the start, what did England learn? And they, they learned a lot about quite a lot of players. I mean, I, I think the thing is, is they have to take a lot of the lessons with a pinch of salt because of the nature of the pitch and because of the nature of this West Indies team I suppose uh, but like Lawrence on that first day w- was excellent and actually because you talked about that slow passage to start the day uh, and it was really him that got Root moving whereas mm. so often it's the other way around for England that it's Root that sort of gets the tempo going but he came in and was sort of enterprising from the off and Root had kind of he hadn't struggled but he'd, uh, he'd, he'd really been dug in and uh, laid that platform and then it was Lawrence that was like right it's time to go now um, and again, in the second inning, I think I think he's he'll done a lot. He'll have also, almost done more to impress the England team than he would have done to impress fans. He's impressed fans a lot, but the fact that he's like played in those kind of selfless ways. Uh, uh, I mean, on the first day a bit, but especially on the on the fifth days in the in both Test matches. Uh, and then Stokes, just to see him back in like in any kind of form. And I, I know he's getting back to it at the end of the Ashes, uh, but this was like this was the, the proper Stokes to be kind of known. Love mm. and that was that was brilliant. And I think the most impressive thing with that innings was actually how you saw him go up and down through the gear. So mm. at the start he was twenty three or fifty five, then he went crazy in that second hour of the second morning, and then after lunch when West Indies brought on Roach, Seals, and Holder again, he kind of went back into a shell a little bit. Pretty much all his all, that that whole assault was against Joseph and Permal basically, mm. uh, which was. Uh, uh, yeah, but cal- calculated as well as sort of destructive. Yeah, um, Cam, we had a question from Billy who basically asked. How much can we read into England's improved batting on this tour? Uh, do you think that with the group they currently have, would they would do you expect them to fare much better than England did in the winter in Australia? 
how much can we read into Corley scoring 100? How much can we read into Lawrence getting runs? How much can we read into Stokes getting back into form? I think you can... You can sure, I, I get the point of the question where you can read less into it than if England had failed again on these wickets. Mm. And like if we failed again, then where we thought we'd hit rock bottom, actually it's worse than we anticipated. But... I don't think, I think it'd be unfair to put caveats and asterisks next to all of these performances because the batters are doing exactly what was asked of them um, in kind of response to the months and years of scoring no runs. Mm. Like there's no scenario, no matter how flat a wicket is, where Crawley scoring 100 for England, Root peeling him off. He scored 200s. I keep on forgetting that. He scored 200s in the last two weeks. And we're just like, yeah, all right. But I, th- oh, I that's think brilliant. I, I almost think it's the root factor that makes me wonder if England would score 300. Like, What is root at three? Well, no, 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 just just like root overall. Like root, root was in incredible form before the Ashes last year, mm. had a not very good Ashes series and is now incredible form after it. Like that is that it does, it's just odd that, you know, he just goes to Australia and can't make hundreds with, with that relentlessness the otherwise could. And so if, you know, if, if root were able to make hundreds in Australia, then England could make 300 basically. Uh, and actually it's, it's also because I guess when you're evaluating the batting lineup, it's a similar set of identities and again yeah Lawrence especially he played really well but he was he was allowed to a little bit by the by the bowling attack and whether he can do it on you know a, against Pat Cummins at the Gabba is not something that we know yet but Bairstow is just in better form and a better player than he was this time what like three four months ago mm. Stokes similar I, th- I think an informed Stokes and he and he did just look out of form an informed Stokes I don't think there's a doubt that he can make those sorts of runs mm. in Australia so there is there, there, I think there is reason for optimism. I'm not saying that England would, you know, would, would rack up 300 if asked to bat tomorrow yeah. against Cummins, etc. But I'd give them more of a chance than I would have if they had to play a six Ashes test. Yeah, and, and, and also I think, going back to what you said, about how England got into a position where they could force a result on the final day, Lawrence really helped. He really, really helped. England were going at just what, one and a bit and over in that first session. Then Lawrence came out and batted really freely. If England didn't bat with that... Um, momentum on the first afternoon and second morning you're not getting close to result realistically Lawrence has had a, a really really good test match and is like 10 runs away in both innings from having quite an like historic test match like he's the numbers would say he got 50 and he took a couple of poles and a couple of catches but he's 10 runs away from 100 in the first innings 10 runs away from 50 in the second innings and whether it should or not that does make a difference into how we'll be remembered kind of looking back but he's had the full pack. He's got his match fees worth. Like <laughs> he's batted a lot. He put in that impetus in the first innings, as you said. It was quite interesting listening to Root after play after the Test match. Was really really keen to impress to like the press about how important Lee's was on that first morning. That's interesting. Um, he really wanted to say like the only time in this match where it really looked like there was a bit of trouble out there for, for the batters was that first morning against the new ball, and the value that that Lee's kind of blockathon gave to the rest of the middle order for Lawrence to whack it, for Root to be able to go at, not a runner ball, mm. but a runner ball or whatever you want to, however you want to describe it. Um, but yeah, Lawrence's, Lawrence's worth is going flying through the roof at the moment. Like he's just showing himself to be a really, really useful and good cricketer. On, on the Ashes point, you know, and I'm not saying that whoever asked the question thinks this, but there is this, this cricket matters and there is other cricket that matters. Like this, this is probably not yet an England batting lineup that could push for a series win in Australia. But like we didn't know that it was one that could even compete in sort of any conditions overseas. Mm. And now it looks like it kind of can again. And we would probably be, have been less optimistic that they could compete against New Zealand and South Africa this summer. And I am now more optimistic about those things. Like Bairstow backing up that 100 last week was huge. Stokes being back in form is huge. That doesn't mean 
that you know they'll go and peel off 200s in an Ashes series but there is other cricket and England are now a, look a, they look a more competitive team in other situations I think Listeners you might not believe this but there's a little bit of rain at the moment but I think we'll, we'll, we'll manage to plough on I really like with Lawrence how when he was bowling and by the way I thought he changed in Root's mind how good a bowler he was he, I think he, w- he was used quite reluctantly at first but actually I think as Root saw him bowl more and more he was like actually Lawrence gets something out of the pitch I really enjoyed how confident he was in dictating what he wanted to do with the field like on the on the fifth day he just like wanted cover to be completely open three four men around the bat all on the leg side and he had a very set plan and he was the one dictating that I thought that was was really impressive um, so I think both Lawrence and Leach I think Root's estimation of them in his own mind has gone up quite a lot in the in the first two tests of this series I think Root now thinks Lawrence is a better bowler than Root himself is mm. which uh uh, is interesting because I think I think Root thinks his own bowling is, is quite good as well, which it, which it is, uh, and Root thinks Lawrence is better. So. I think Root will think with Lawrence is Lawrence is almost like a leg spinning offy in that mm. he's kind of he's a bit everywhere. He bowls because he bowls with that like ballerina hop. He's basically almost like taller, so he gets a lot yeah. of bounce out of the wicket. So I think what we'll see is Leach will be the first spinner, and then depending if there's two right-handers or a left-hander at the crease, either Lawrence will be the second spinner or Root will be the second spinner. Mm. Yeah, I think that's fair. Ben, how do you think Fisher did on debut? Uh, I thought he was fine. I mean, you know, I, I, he, he came in with sort of maybe hopes that he would be sort of consistently sort of 85, which it seems isn't quite the case. He was occasionally up there. I think his wicket ball in the first innings was 139 uh, kph, which is, which is brisk. Uh, you know, he, he wasn't getting loads of movement, but there wasn't much movement on offer. He bowled with, with decent control. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised or too saddened if he did drop out of the second test, thinking we'll sort of learn something. And then he kind of he will then naturally fall back into the pack for the rest of for the start of the summer, and it'll be up to a new coach to sort of evaluate that. So even if we don't see Fisher play again for England for a little while, which I think is a possibility, uh, I think England was sort of learned a lot, and he didn't disgrace himself. He did pretty well. We can talk about Wokes now as well, is it? Yeah. So I I thought Fisher did okay, uh, but I, I think what was most striking that in that in that first West Indies innings, I thought Mahmood was was clearly England's best seamer then probably Stokes, then Fish, and then Chris Wokes, who's the man who's supposed to be the attack leader without Borden Anderson here. I, I just don't think he was that threatening. Yeah, and then in, in, the, in the second innings when England were going for the win, only bowled four overs. Uh, Cam, you got the hot take that that might have been Chris Wokes' last away test. Yeah, so, I say it ain't so, Cam. <laughs> I keep on getting taken the mick out because I thought I made quite an astute observation. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm quite sad looking at Wokes at the it moment. It was sad. It was really sad. Because... Like his stock was so high, like just before the Ashes series, going into the T20 World Cup, like he'd returned to save England. He had an amazing performance at the Oval where he scored a 50, and he's got like Sharma out in his first inning, first innings, first over. I wrote a piece saying the unlikely winter of Wokes, how he's going to be the best player in the world, and now I'm here, like looking at him, feeling a bit sorry for himself and me, just for thinking. Yeah, I, I think I think it's probably got into his head that he hasn't taken any wickets overseas and that stat's following him now. Everyone knows it. And so I think what's happened is he's tried to basically push his lengths forward, he's tried to bowl fuller, tried to attack the stumps more and he's ended up like shoving it down the leg side. Going That, that first spell in Antigua last week was like just bad. It, like, it wasn't really a time for nuance or like tactical observations. I'm like, that is rubbish, what's just happened. Um, and I think, I, I don't see what, how he plays in Grenada with Overton and Robinson back and then I think his stock's fallen low enough that probably he's now not necessarily a lock for the first test back in England either. Mm. No, yeah. I, I think I think that's fair. I think I think 
people can be a little bit simplistic in their view of Wokes as an overseas bowler. I, I do actually think he had got better. That 1920 winter, there were signs that he could do it outside of England on slightly less helpful pitches and without the Duke's ball that he's actually bowling with here. Um, but I think I think with Wokes, he, he isn't at 100%. Like when Wokes takes lots of, lots of wickets in England, he's not bowling at 81, 82 miles per hour. He's he's not quite as as quick. He doesn't quite have the energy. And I know Ben, you said on last week's pod, Wokes has never been uh, as metronomic as as Anderson. Um, but he, but Wokes is also more accurate normally than he has been here. This, yeah. this isn't the normal Chris Wokes. This is he is not a hundred percent. No, and as I said last week, also there is a the, the mitigating factor is that he has had a very like a very long winter like one of the longest in that England camp in that he was one of the, there's not many of them that played the T20 World Cup and then the Ashes. Without having played a first class game for a year. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and as a quick bowler, especially that's going to be pretty, pretty draining. Uh, but having said that, I do agree with Cam that I think he might only play a handful more tests full stop just because if England are looking to build for the future, then, you know, you've got this guy works. He's not even really early thirties anymore. Uh, and they kind of, I think they will probably conclude that he's not the guy for them away from home. And then actually they'll be like, thinking like, well, we have other guys who we know can do pretty well in England. And actually these guys could be guys that we could, we want to give a bit of test experience mm. to, to then, so that when they're, when it comes to, you know, Pakistan or wherever else they're touring, they're not coming in completely fresh. So I, I, I can see that as a possibility. Obviously the batting will still help his case and it might even help his case for the next test. Possibly it depends. I guess it depends what the pitch looks like as well. Like if it, if it doesn't look like a, a road like these to have it looks like a road you don't need Wokes' batting at eight, mm. I, think, I think Butch pointed out but if you do need his batting then and then that will also mean it is a, a more helpful pitch which means that Wokes comes into it more with the ball I suppose mm. so he might play the next week depends what the pitch looks like yeah. if it's a flat one maybe not I kind of think with Wokes even for people who don't know Wokes especially well there is such a will for him to succeed he's been kind of on the sidelines in and out of the test scene for the best part of the decade he's been generally so reliable when he's come in he's never complained about missing out uh, when some of his teammates have and if we feel that will and don't know him people who who do know him must feel that yeah. so strongly and I, I feel like some difficult conversations are probably going to take place over the next week or so um tim asked two flat decks down 20 wickets yet to be taken likely to be more of the same next up if not parkinson now will he ever cam uh i think he will but at the same time it's the same with it's similar very similar to Mahmood in that he's been around the setup for a long time now and you kind of think well England know these guys they see him then bowling all the time like why what what's mm. what, what what's not good enough about me like why mm. aren't you playing me um, I think there's as good a chance as there ever has been that Parkinson will play next week I think it's quite I think within the journalists out here everyone kind of speaking for other people everyone wants to see him bowl because it's new and it's shiny and it's exciting and it's different and that should be the kind of the key to 20 wickets mm. um, but I still think the most likely lineup for next week it would be Fisher and Wokes dropping out for Overton and Robinson I'd personally love to see Parkinson bowl mm. because let's go let's find out let's find out if this guy it, it, uh, Parkinson has earned the right to not be the answer if that makes sense like he has, he's earned the right to have the chance to either prove himself good enough or be like oh well we've given you a go mm. yeah. I, I think sorry Ben I, I just want to we, we've obviously we obviously love Parkinson in this pod and I hope he plays I hope he does well I just want to temper expectations a little bit on a really flat wicket I wouldn't expect Parkinson to come in and be the reason why England win a test match uh, he has only played 
he's only taken 100 or so first class wickets he's got a brilliant record but he hasn't played that much and uh, England's number one spinner who pretty much most people agree is the number one spinner in Leach he's bowling 65 overs and only taking three wickets so I don't think we should expect that if the pitch is anything like what we've seen so far on the tour that, Le- that Parkinson's going to come in and be a total game changer but that said I think with Stokes bowling better uh, than he was in Australia and looking so physically fit I think that makes it much easier to play two spinners than it is at the moment. Yeah, I think we should probably dwell on Stokes for a little bit because firstly, he's a proper specimen. He's <laughs> a he is a man in the prime of his life. Uh, and, uh, and what about and, his cricket? Yeah, and 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 he and he and he bowled really really well. Like you said there was a bit of a gap between him and Mood. I didn't think there was a huge amount of a gap. And even towards the end of that innings, uh, with that third new ball, I think he was still bowling really well, asking mm. lots of questions, beating the bat. Uh, his pace was up. He is he is so in shape and actually like. Like I, it's stupid to say Stokes is good, but like it offers so much to that England team because he is a different sort of bowler to the others. Like he's one mm. of the most at his best. He's one of the most sort of varied bowlers England have, in that he can swing it first up, he can seam it, he can bowl dry, he can bowl bounces, he can get reverse swing. He's quick, uh, so that that adds a huge amount to England, and that does mean that you have like the option of a bit more of a luxury player, which Parsons could be. I think you're right. I don't think he would have ripped through West Indies, but I think you can. In, in the traditional leg spin away, he could have bought a couple. And I think, I do think if, I mean, this is a lot of hindsight here. I don't think he wasn't calling for England to play this team in the lead up to this test. But if he had played this test over Chris Wokes, I think England might have won it because, like, they would have just got through that West Indies innings slightly quicker, even if it ended up costing the same amount of runs and they would have more amount of time to force the win, I suppose. This is all of our first tours abroad. I was wondering whether your views of the Barmy Army has changed at all on this trip or what your views of them has been seeing them close up because there, there are very few organisations like them in world cricket and people tend to have quite strong views on them. Cam? Yeah, I, it's very hard to dis- discern who's just out as a cricket fan and who's out here as a member of the Barmy Army. Um, I think when I see someone pissed up chanting nonsense and just being annoying I think oh you're really annoying but I don't necessarily know if that's a member of the Barmy Army or not um, has my opinion changed on them I was trying to work out what would be if I came out as a fan would I be considered someone who's a member of the Barmy Army and I reckon for the first and second session I'd be sitting away from them I'd be like I'm, I have no interest in that lads thanks very much and then no by interest the, in what though what is it that you're not having an interest in I just don't want to I just don't want to chant Barmy Army and like sing Sweet Caroline from over one through sixty, but then from over sixty-one <laughs> to ninety, I might. So I might, I might be a hybrid fan. I don't think I've answered that question at all, to be honest. I think no, I think you have. I mean, my my opinion is is changed quite a lot. I was a little bit sceptical of of what they what they. I probably had quite similar thoughts to, to to you, but having spoken to a few people who've been part of what they've done, they are. I think it's quite hard to state overstate how welcoming they are for England fans who are out here so I was speaking to um, someone I know his dad uh, he, he's out here uh, they, they don't know that many people here and the Barmy Army have so many events that are, are kind of there so you can meet other fans who are out on tour somebody I know was out here two days before any of his friends were and um, he just kind of like looked at the Barmy Army Twitter account and saw that they were having an intra intra tour group match yeah. Um, at the Wanderers Cricket Club here and he just rocked up not knowing anyone who's involved all day um, etc and I think some of the how some people might look at the excessive drunkenness of some English fans overseas 
and say that's not great. But if you go around the ground, the the, the bits that were, had the, the most drunk fans weren't the Barmy Army. It was in the party stand, which was literally the opposite end of the ground to where the Barmy Army were. And I think also, I think sometimes people look at the Barmy Army and say, oh, they're singing about themselves, whatever. But take a step back their support is pretty cool like there are very few comparable sporting um experiences like that you know to have eight thousand predominantly british fans out here i think it's cool to make as much noise as they were making on the fourth day when the play was yeah. really difficult to watch is pretty cool and also one one last thing i'd say is that a common criticism of them is that they sing about themselves i mean as chanting british sporting fans go if that's yeah. the worst you can say about them that's, that's pretty good i think to kind of row back a little bit I think I'm really reluctant to get on a high horse over people who are out having a holiday wherever mm. in the world. Second thing I'd say is from the anecdotal evidence of speaking to kind of locals here, like Barry Wilkinson, who's been doing commentary on Talk Sport, loves them. He's so like, he's from Barbados. He's from Barbados, and he's like, England have the best sport in the world. It's amazing to have so many people out here, and it's not a view that I've heard just him saying. I've heard quite mm. a few people going like. This is brilliant. We're playing in front of Roddy Eswick and Lendl Simmons, the two West Indian coaches. They, whether they're just being polite, I don't know, but they've been really positive about the experience of playing in front of 8,000 people and how the guys love it, basically. And finally, like when Root scored his 100, and it was in that evening session where the agnostics have become the believers in the Barmy Army, the noise that was made... It's incredible. It was, it was so good. And it was like a... Pro- I, know, I know it's like a bit of an easy statement to say it was like a football ground, but like... A cricket pitch is vast. You lose noise out of it. Whereas what's amazing about being in a football stadium is that you're sheltered and there's echoing. But you had that effect when Root made that 100. The ground was kind of vibrating. It was noisy. And you're like, this is an incredible event to have been here. I thought it was a really special moment that after a year the Roots had to have that moment in in that setting. It was... Or, or it's, the, it's the loudest cricket environment that I've been in myself. And I just thought it was, it was, it was a very special moment. And I can't keep going back to it. It is amazing that they make as much noise as they did when the play was as bad as it was and the players talk about how good it is for them so much yeah and and similar to if the worst thing you say about a, a group of fans they sing about themselves that's not that bad barmy army didn't invent getting really drunk at sporting matches like that, that's, <laughs> that, 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 that's that's a british phenomenon more than more than a, more than the barmy army one uh, and you know when, when you see things like you know like the, the euros final last year like it's 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 nowhere near that level they they are i mean i can see how when you're watching it from home like and you, that's all you can hear on the tv or whatever like you can think it seems a bit obnoxious but also think the people who are doing it are having fun and it's kind of it's not for everyone but it is also for a lot of people and i think it is probably ultimately harmless yeah i'd, I'd agree with that and i think the one the one criticism I would, I would have is that cricket is not particularly diverse it doesn't represent british society well enough and the barmy army does not represent cricket within that well enough it is uh extremely white uh and i think they could probably do more to diversify or encourage people from different backgrounds to come out on tour with them but i think when when fans come out here they do so much to try and make sure that people have have good time and even if they're not part of the particularly boozy element of that they they want people to to, they invite people to events different tour companies will advertise barmy army events to meet so people can meet other english fans I, i think that is that is a good thing Frogbox is the all-in-one streaming kit that makes broadcasting live cricket accessible for clubs, schools and associations in the UK. Designed for recreational cricket, the Frogbox solution is the innovative, lightweight and low-cost product designed for volunteer-operated clubs. 
integrated with the Play Cricket Scorer app. All you need to do on match day is set up the portable video capture kit and live score the match on the app. Their automation technology will take care of the rest. Stream to YouTube with high quality graphics, generate highlights of your greatest moments and connect with your community like never before. Frogbox professionally showcases cricket at any level while offering new revenue opportunities for amateur cricket clubs. The automated graphics package has multiple displays and advertising opportunities available, engaging the end user and delivering high quality visibility for your corporate partners. Capture those special moments with automated highlight generation and join the streaming revolution with Frogbox. Visit their website at www.frogbox.live for further information and start reimagining the match day experience. Hashtag never miss a moment. We occasionally get accused of being geeky on the pod. Ben's about to prove why. You've done some number crunching and you're adamant that the Women's World Cup is the most exciting 50-over World Cup ever, men's or women's. Can you uh, explain why? Yes, I think I was just about to say that. I'll, I'll put a caveat in it in a little bit. Uh, but I was looking at uh, basically the number of close games uh, per tournament. and I define a close game as either one by 15 runs or fewer or what, by two wickets or fewer? I probably should have been three wickets, but I said it was two wickets or fewer, or one in the last over. Uh, the Women's World Cup has had 20 games at the time of recording, and uh, 10 of them have been uh, like like a, a thriller by that standard. Uh, like the, the Only one other tournament has had 10 such games, which was the 2019 World Cup, but that had 48 games, which has had 20 so far. And no tournament comes close for number of thrillers per game. I think it was maybe 92 that had uh, about one thriller every four games, and this is one every two games. So it's been astonishing. Uh, and then even beyond that, uh, you've had upsets. You've had Bangladesh putting in a much better show than anyone thought they would. Pakistan also uh, beating... West Indies overnight. Yeah, and, and that wasn't even one that counts on the thrillers. That was, you know, one of the shocks of the tournament, really, uh, with West Indies having started so well. And it doesn't count into that metric. Um, you know, the, the, the race for that semi-final spot has sort of ebbed and flowed, I think. I think people would have thought England were almost out of it. And now, actually, they win both their games. They really should make it. Um, uh, but, you know... Uh, it's been uh, South Africa have been a bit of a surprise package with just how good and consistent they've been uh, but also have been pushed close even by Bangladesh and by a couple other teams um, so that is from almost every point it's been really good the one thing is it's in danger of being a very very uh, like an incredible seven team tournament and then the eighth team just obliterates everyone like Australia have been pushed close by a couple of teams uh, was it by India they took, went to the last over in England it was a close game in the in the first one uh, but they do just look ominous. And I think if they just cruise, they've already qualified for the semis, if they just cruise through the semis and the finals, that will be one blot on the tournament, which has otherwise been impeccable entertainment. England will probably go through, as you say, off their one wicket win over New Zealand. An amazing match. Um, do you think it's possible at all that England could leave out one of the two opening bowling greats in Shrubsall or Brunt? Shrubsall only bowled, scored the winning runs, but she only, she only bowled three overs in the New Zealand game and went for 21. Uh... I think there's an argument that they should, but this is an England team that is still a bit wary of experimentation and, you know, maybe rightly puts faith in players beyond when they might otherwise deserve it. I think that's been vindicated in some instances. They have, you know, they have, they brought in Charlie Dean halfway through the tournament. They've left out uh, Lauren Winfield-Hill. Dean's been brilliant. She's uh, playing the match in the India game, took a four-foot. Yeah, so, 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 so they, they might do, uh, but my inclination is that they will stick with them I think mm, cool uh, and also a quietly big week in the ODI World Cup Super League uh, yes uh, uh, Bangladesh uh, solidified their hold at the top of the table uh, beating South Africa their first ever win against Africa in any format 
in South Africa, which is impressive. Um, and South Africa are, I think, in real danger of going to uh, that qualifier. It will shock you that I haven't actually crunched all the numbers to see who needs what, but they have just, they haven't clean swept the, the, the ones they should have. Like, I think you'd look at it, the fixed beforehand, you think Bangladesh at home, that's something you should be winning 3-0, really. Uh, and they haven't done that. Ireland away, that's something you should be winning 3-0. I think they drew it 1-1. Uh, they had a washout against uh, the, the Netherlands, Netherlands and, well. and those two games also have been postponed it's like actually will those get played or will those remain postponed and then they've got some really really tough and they've got Australia uh, yeah. England and India yeah so I mean and you know they, maybe they just go on a run against those teams and it's bizarre as well because actually statistically they have like one of the best ODI top sixes there has ever been like and Decock has the lowest average and he's averaging like 45 and obviously how good he is Yeah. Uh, so they've got lots of really good players but they just uh, have kind of had freak bad forms at the wrong times which I think could cost them mm. David asks if England's performance was a beach cocktail which would it be? Oh, if it's a rum I'm trying to work out how it's a rum sour because they're delicious <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's something that's got to have a real kick at the end I think that like uh, maybe takes a while to get through uh, there's a, there's a, this is niche but there's a James Acaster comedy bit about the, the things of fruit compote you get from Pret and he says he doesn't mix them up he eats them like a uh, like one by one and so you've got the granola at the start and you're really ploughing through the yogurt and you get the compote at the bottom it's like wow what a finish that's what England's games but like you've got to plough through quite a lot to get to the, 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 the tangy compote at the end I've never um, had one of those but I'll take your word for it uh, and then Cam to finish Mark asks is it acceptable to wear shoes on the beach well I actually saw that before I arrived en route here and so I packed flip flops in case that Yaz and Ben were going to wear flip flops and I was going to get laughed at for wearing shoes, but it turns out I'm the only one who bought flip-flops. So yeah, I'm but I've slipped my wearing. socks and shoes off, though. Uh, so, I'm, I'm not really a very flip-floppy kind of person. I'm not a beach person. <laughs> can't do sand, can't do sun. I'm struggling. Anyway, I think that is everything. Cheers, Ben, and especially big thank you to Cam for coming thank on you. the show. This has been the Wiz and Cricket Weekly podcast from Barbados, courtesy of sportsbreaks.com. We'll be back in London next week. Cheers. Podcast Network.